0: Hey, greetings, greetings. Good morning, good day, good noon. Bom dia, bom dia. Uh, You can pray for me, I'm going to Brazil this week and uh, I'm going to go to a couple of churches down there that are starting up. But I wanted to give you a report on the going to the two services thing that we began in July. We explained this to uh, you uh, a a couple months ago when the uh, transition started that the reason that we did it, the reason we went to two services was mostly for our children. Because I don't know if you've seen that area on the other side of this Longwood Grill, which is a restaurant on the other side. There's a, a, a room called the Fenway Room. We had 60 kids and there, and it was really packed. And and for the workers, the, ch- the children's ministry workers, it was very very difficult. And so, uh, I want to report to you that things are going really well, and it's much more manageable for the uh, the workers. It's better for the children and. Um, it, it's really going uh, great. So continue to keep this transition in, in prayer, but uh, we're very happy with it. Okay, so we are in John chapter 9. Please rise for the reading of God's word. John chapter 9. We're going to be reading through the whole chapter. This is, you can call this John chapter 9, part 2, because really we read through the whole chapter last week. But there's so much here, I just wanted to take two weeks uh, with this. And so John chapter 9, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Anyone else need a Bible? Nice and high. Have some more there. Oh boy, Eddie, you're going to get your exercise. Oh, Eddie, Eddie. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Eddie and Ani. Eddie and Ani. John chapter 9, verse 1 says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, the night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated "sent." So he went and washed and came back seeing. I love the simplicity of that. If you were taking notes, you can underline that. So he went, he washed, and he came back seeing. It's a picture of salvation there, actually. Verse 8, therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Verse 10, therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. They're saying that because the healing took place on the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said he is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them saying, is this your son? Who you say was born blind how then does he now see His parents anth- answered them and said We know that this is our son and that he was born blind but by what means he is now now sees we do not know or who opened his eyes we do not know He is of age ask him he will speak of for himself his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So they again called the man who was blind and said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Then they reviled, meaning insulted. They reviled him and said, you are his disciples but we are Moses' disciples. We know that "'God spoke to Moses, "'As for this fellow, we, don't know, we, we do not know where he is from.' "'The man answered and said, "'This is a marvelous thing, "'that you do not know where he is from, yet he opened my eyes. "'Now we know that God does not hear sinners, "'but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. "'Since the world began, it has been unheard of "'that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. "'If this man were not from God, he could do nothing.'" They answered and said to him, you were completely born in sins and you, you're teaching us and they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? And he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Let's pray. Father, every time we open the Word of God, we need you to give us sight. We need you to open our eyes. We need you, the light of the world, to, to be a floodlight to us, Lord, exposing the darkness. We thank you so much, Lord, that your word says when the darkness is exposed, we, all we need to do is bring the darkness to you. And you say in your word that if we confess the darkness, if we confess the darkness, our sin. You are faithful and just to forgive us for clinging to that darkness. And you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what will be left is what, what used to be red as scarlet, was white as snow, a clean conscience a life free of guilt and shame, Lord, bring light to the darkness, open up our eyes, open up the eyes of our heart, Lord, let us see your glory this morning in these words, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So at the end of chapter 8, in verse 51, John chapter 8, verse 51, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people, and he makes this statement, he says in John 8, 51, most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now to say the very least this is an extraordinary statement and some in the crowd said to him who do you think you are? Do you think you're greater than Abraham? Abraham was the father of the Jewish faith. You could say he was the beginning of the Jewish faith he was the first Jew in a sense he's the father of us all the bible says that in christ we're grafted into the jewish faith and abraham i got to tell you the time of jesus the jews revered him I mean, he, he, that would be an exceedingly great understatement. I mean, he was the man. Everyone who is listening to Jesus now, Abraham was the man. And I, I, I think of George Washington. I even don't want to even put as great as George Washington uh, really was and is uh, his memory, it's hard to put him in the same line, but he was George Washington times a 1,000 to the Jews. I mean, he was the man. And and, and so when Jesus shows up at one of the Jewish feasts and he's at the temple courts, and Dan, can we uh, get this up one more time? And he says to them, most assuredly, which means what? Listen now and listen very carefully. (laughs) I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. They're thinking, uh, they're astonished. and They're thinking, who do you think you are? And they ask him in verse 51, are you greater than our father Abraham? <laughs> and he responds to them in verse 58, and he says this most assuredly, listen now and listen really carefully. I say to you before Abraham, even was, I am. And it says that in verse 59, at that point they picked up stones and they tried to kill him. I am. It's the name that God gives himself. In the book of Exodus chapter 3, God tells Moses to return to Egypt and deliver them out of slavery in their bondage in Egypt, Moses asked God, well, if they ask me what your name is, what do I say? God said, tell them my name is I Am. So in John chapter 8, every one of these uh, men, women, and children listening to him, they knew what I am, it's the name of God. And, and, and he responds, before Abraham was, I am, he's telling them, I am God. Now that name, I am, it, it begs a question, doesn't it? It begs the question, I am. I am what? <laughs> Who are you? And, 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 and the Bible is such an amazing document because God interacts with, with men and women and children uh, in in such a way that Everything that he says is meant to draw us to him. He says, I am, and, and it begs the question, you are what? Just tell us, who are you? Who are you? I want to know you. Tell me, I want to follow you. I want to love you, but I don't know who you are. I am who? Who are you? Well, if you've been... With us in our study of the book of John, you know that Jesus answers this question, right? He answers the question through seven I am statements throughout the book of John. Seven, the number of completion in the Bible. I have these listed here. I am the bread of life, John chapter 6. In John chapter 8 and John chapter 9, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 10, I am the door of the sheep. So he's filling in the blanks. Who is God? This is who he is. I am, chapter 10, the good shepherd. I am, chapter 11, the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 14. And then finally, John chapter 15, I am the true Vine. You want to know who God is so you can love him and follow him and, 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 and embrace him and ask him in your life and, ha- and, and, and have a, be born again into a new life with God? This is who he is. Now listen, this is important. Jesus didn't just show up and start saying stuff like this. Without supernatural miraculous backup, he backed these i am statements up. And he does so through what? Through signs and miracles. in in the Old Testament, the prophet said, when the Messiah, comes, there's going to be an explosion of miracles. And and in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, there's reference there to miracles of of really hundreds of miracles, even possibly thousands. But in the book of John, he backs up his seven I am statements with seven miracles. And here are the miracles right here. We've already seen... uh, uh, um, really with today, six of them, changing water into wine, John chapter two. And at the end of that story, it says what? This is the first of Jesus's signs. And then in John chapter four, he heals the royal official's son who was at the point of death. John chapter five, he heals the man who was paralyzed. John chapter six, he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. In John chapter 6, he also walks on water. Here in John chapter 9, he heals the man uh, blind from birth. And then John chapter 11 is the final sign. It's the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Now, again, they are called in the book of John signs. They're not called miracles. Um, if you say, if you look, for example, at the end of uh, uh, verse 16 of chapter 9, uh, there's this division, and, and, and some of the Pharisees are saying, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And again, in John chapter 2, uh, turning the water into wine, this is the first sign. Now, there are two reasons that John uses the word signs, and he has these seven I am statements with the seven signs. And number one, again, they're proof, a sign, it's proof, it's pointing that the Messiah has come. The time of waiting is over. He's here. The Son of God is here. And these are the signs that prove that. The Old Testament prophet, Isaiah, chapter after chapter said, when he comes, you will see signs. But number two, they're called signs because they're meant to represent something about God, about Jesus, to teach you something really, really deep, radically deep about God to draw you into a love relationship with him. For example, at least two of these signs are tied directly to two of the "I am" statements. Now, there's there's some out there, I'm sure, that will try to tie every one of these seven "I am" statements to the seven signs. I'm not that smart. I can I can only do two of them. Um, can we get the the, the signs up there, uh, Dan? Um, so the. Uh, one is, it, it, it is obvious, it's the feeding of the 5,000. Number four, it's tied directly to what? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. He who hungers, come and feed off of the, me. That is who I am. I'm not this distant God that it's a hard, hard time even figuring out or getting to. Him. I'm the bread of life. Feed off of me. I am. Feeding 5,000. They're tied together. The next one is the one we're in this morning, John chapter 9. Jesus heals a man born blind, and it's tied directly to what? I am the light of the world. And that's what this chapter, um, it, 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 it's all about. It's marrying those who's just joining the sign And the I am statement, I am who, God is who, He is the light, and this is what He does. So last week, we went through this this story. We focused on at least three things last week. Number one, this story, it's, although a man is physically uh, being healed here, it's, it's all about a spiritual thing. It, it, it's, it's all about a spiritual thing. Number one, it's a description of Jesus' relentless mission to tear down man-made ideas about God and man-made... Re- uh, religion and replace it with a love relationship with himself. For the tearing down thing look no further than <laughs> verses 2 and 3. His disciples see the man born blind and say, Teacher, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? What specific sin did he or his parents do for this to happen? And Jesus says in verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. He he he's tearing down religion here, this common religious idea, or this man-made idea that, that it that, that that thing in your life, that, that that addiction that you have, that compulsion, that obsession that you have, well it was it was uh, my five years in daycare where I was just abused, there, or it was my, 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 my father who, who just beat up on me my whole life, or, or, or it was my, my, my insecurity and the reason I'm so isolated today and I don't like being around people, it's just my brothers and sisters beating up on me growing up. It's, it's their sin. The thing, this thing that I'm in, it's their sin. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not about that. This thing in your life, this compulsion, this, this addiction, this, this sin habit, this, this thing that's ruling and governing your life and, and, and this darkness, it's not about them, their sin, or even your sin. It's about what God wants to do In that thing to show his glory he wants to take that addiction that compulsion that weirdness that isolation and he wants to do the works of glory and that's what he does number one in john chapter nine the man born blind healed is about Jesus just deliberately going. He deliberately heals him on the Sabbath knowing he was going to be confronted. Why? Because he wanted to d- uh, turn upside down the man-made religion and replace it with a love relationship with himself. Number two, the story, uh, it, it was also about, we talked about last week, that when we come into a relationship with God, we will encounter opposition. <laughs> when we identify with the name of Jesus in our life, we're going to be having family and friends and people come against us. I mean, this, this man, he, this poor, blind beggar, he, his name becomes identified with Jesus. The next thing, he's being dragged in front of and accused and really persecuted and beaten up by the most important people in his community. If you're faithful to the Lord, You identify with him, you will encounter opposition. Number three, this story we talked about last week, it's just the fulfillment. I say just the fulfillment. Wow, it's the fulfillment of what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, verse 23, Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what? He says, The Father, God the Father, He's seeking out. This is a Purpose statement, your purpose. God the Father is seeking out men, women, and children to worship him, John chapter four, verse 23, in spirit and in truth. And, and you see the fulfillment of that uh, in this chapter. In, in, at the end of the chapter, Jesus finds out this guy had been cast out of the temple, which means people would be shunning him avoiding him, actually not even allowed to interact with him, this, this man, Jesus comes, seeks him out. Verse 35 of chapter 9, and asks him, do you believe in the Son of God? And verse 36, he answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, And it is he who is talking with you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped. That is the purpose for every human life. To allow the drawing of God you, you, you into a relationship with him. And what is worship? What is worship? Worship's not a song. We talked about this last week. Not a song. The Bible doesn't teach that. It is what? It's a heartbeat. It's a heartbeat of the soul. It's a heartbeat of the soul that says, my life is all about you, God. My life is all about you, God. My life is all about you. Boom, 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 boom. That's, the, that's what worship is, and that's what he's doing. He, he, he's, he's, wow, the Son of God is in front of me. It says he worships him in verse 38. Now I want to finish this chapter up by just focusing on the last three verses. Not easy verses to understand. <laughs> the last three verses, let's read them. Verse 39. So uh, th- this man worships Jesus, and there's a crowd around him. So he's no longer addressing the man, he's addressing the crowd. And he said, for judgment, verse 39, I have come into this world. That those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Whoa, what's that about? Jesus making someone blind. We'll talk about that. Verse 40, then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Verse 41, Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, underline those two words, you say we see, and therefore your sin remains. The Bible. And I hope every one of you is a student of or is becoming of or will become a student of the Bible Any student of the Bible will will learn over time from Genesis chapter 3, from the time that man had it perfect with God, but he rejected God, Adam and Eve in the garden, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the very end of the book of Revelation. It's the story, man's story, the story of man is about his blindness. The Bible is the story of man's blindness, of man living in the dark, his eyes closed towards God. Romans chapter one, verse 20 says this, Romans chapter one, verse 20, this is the apostle Paul, he's writing to the Romans, my wife Stephanie is in the book of Romans now and she she, calls, she tells me about every two or three days, this this book is just so heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. What, what happens in Romans is that um, most of the other letters that Paul wrote, he was reading, writing to people he, he knew, church, church he knew. He didn't know the church of Rome, so he says, well, I'm just going to tell them everything. Everything about God, everything about man, and he does it. He lays out a whole theology or a whole teaching a story about God and man. And this is Romans chapter one. Begins at the very beginning of Romans. It's, it's, it's heavy. It, it says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature, nature underline these words, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse, meaning the evidence of God's existence could not be clear. It's out there, the creation, it's clearly seen, and anyone who tries to say, well, I don't see it, I don't know where it came from, but God, I don't know about God, many of us know how to talk like that, because that's we used to talk like that, some of you are talking about that today. There's no excuse for that, though, because the the evidence is clearly seen. Man's story is about blindness in the Bible. But as we see in John chapter 9, God's story is about his intense, relentless love towards man opening his eyes. Man's story, Genesis 3 to end of Revelation, about blindness. God's story about opening his eyes. Turn with me to John chapter 1. This is the theme throughout the Bible. It's the theme throughout the book of John. John. In the beginning, verse 1, chapter 1, was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's speaking of Jesus. The Word equals Jesus here. All things were made through Him, speaking of Jesus, and without Him, speaking of Jesus, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was what? The light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now, back in, in John chapter 9, if you go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the books that record the life of Christ, you will see more cases of blindness being healed than that of any other one affliction. There was one deaf and dumb man who was healed, one who was sick of the palsy. One sick of fever, two lepers healed, three dead raised, but five had their blindness healed, their eyes opened. Five. That's because blindness is the human story. It's it's, it's the the story about every human being that come into the world blind. How many times in your own life was there something in your own life before you knew God, and and, and maybe even after, before you came into a relationship with God, there's something that you did, and you've asked yourself a thousand times, How did I not see that doing that was going to just? Create all kinds of, of, of ugliness and misery in my life and other people's life. How could I have done that? I, 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 I can't believe how blind I was. I don't know how many times I have been in the counseling office across from someone. And they're like, I just can't believe it. I just can't believe that I did what I did, what I did. I just don't understand it. It's blindness. I think is something that happened in, in in my life that I've just replayed a thousand times. How could I've done that? I was born up here in in Massachusetts. My parents were living on the Cape, and we moved in to the Boston area. And uh, when I was nine, we moved kind of all over the place, and. At the end of high school, I was actually in South America. I was in Venezuela. I pray for, for Venezuela. It's really tough down there now. A piece of my heart is down there, and it breaks my heart. But we, we were down there and, uh, in high school and at the beginning of college. and um, In Venezuela, on Christmas Eve, and specifically in Caracas, the capital, on Christmas Eve and on New Year's Eve, you will see the most astounding display of fireworks that you'll ever see in your whole life. We, we actually have a, someone who lived in Caracas here yeah, who, who knows that. Actually, more than one. For service as well. It, it, it is, it, and this is not a preacher's exaggeration. I'm talking it's a hundred times what you see on July 4th. Because the city stretches for 10 miles and every single inch of it, there are just these rockets going up in gigantic explosions. And you can get these explosive materials anywhere. And you know, a 17-year-old boy, 18-year-old, 19-year-old boy, red-blooded American or red-blooded a Venezuelan boy, and fireworks, that's like not a very good mix, right? So, you know, we used to go out and buy these things. And um, my older brother and I, I hate to, you know, I, I, I have his son-in-law sitting right in front of me. So I better be careful. But, but uh, his name is Butch. He and I, we both did the same really stupid thing. We went out and we bought one of these big explosion things. And there was this firecracker, right? And it was called a tumba gobierno, which means topple down a government. That's the name of the firecracker. It was the, it was the equivalent of a half a stick of dynamite. It was just a gigantic. Thing. We went and bought these things, and my brother took it back to college. I took it back to college. My brother threw his in a garbage bin, and blew it up, and and like it's like what on earth is? And the police showed up, and you know, my brother looking out the dorm window, hee, 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 type of thing. Well, <laughs> I, I wasn't as smart as my brother, and what I did. Was just incredibly stupid. One night, all the lights went off on my campus, and I I got my friend and I. Hey, man, I had this thing. Let's go blow it off. And we take this thing, a tumba gobierno, uh, which is twice as big as a tumba rancho, and 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 we put it inside of a phone booth. Now, some of you are like, phone booth? What's phone booth? A phone booth was this like little glass-sided compartment. So you walk in and you pick up the phone and you make a phone call. And it was surrounded by glass. And there was one in this the bottom, in, inside the building at the bottom of a staircase at this fraternity. We just really didn't like these fraternity guys over there so we'll do this to them. We stuck it in, where, in there. Didn't think anyone was looking. Lit the thing and, and went off and and the thing just blew up. All the glass just shattered. And all I can say is complete chaos broke out on the campus. I mean, uh, yeah, this is me. This is your pastor, okay? Uh, and and um, uh, uh, there was a guy walking down the stairwell, had to go to the hospital because this was... Uh, Gigantic explosion. He had lost his hearing, and, and, and thank God he got his hearing back. But I remember going by the next day. They had swept up all the glass beads, and they were, and they were. There's this gigantic thing there, and and you know I'm just freaking out. I'm going to make a really long story short, but I had to turn myself in. I got arrested. I mean, it was a really hard, difficult, traumatic time. Uh, in my life, um, you know, I w- didn't know the Lord. I, I didn't become a Christian until uh, a few years later. But uh, I remember w- literally turning on the radio, and the first thing I heard was Steve Cole from Lighthouse Point, Florida, arrested this yesterday afternoon for the you know, and and, and 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 so you know, I, there were some serious consequences for what I did. Uh, definitely, way less than what I deserved. But how many times have I asked myself and has this picture been in my mind of, I could have killed that guy. I mean, if the wick was just a little bit longer, he would have gotten killed or blinded by the glass. How could I have been so foolish and blind? How? Well, the answer is Genesis 3 to about Revelation 19 in the Bible. It's man's story, blindness. How does a man get into a car and drive into a crowd of people? How does a man do that? In, in Charlottesville, Virginia, yesterday, it's blindness. The Bible actually has the answers it's blindness. Verse 39, Jesus says, of John chapter 9 says, For judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. Now what does that mean? Let's start with the more difficult part of that, the, the, the last phrase here, and those who see may be made blind. What does he mean by that? Does he mean that, 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 that Jesus himself actually made someone blind? Yeah, it does. Sort of. I'll explain. And actually, you see it in the story. You, you actually see it. In the Pharisees, so the Pharisees they're coming in, in, into this thing, and they're sort of blind. Sort of, they know they know there's something about this guy, this I am guy. They know there's something about him. But it, it, it says in verse thirteen, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees, and so at this point, they're sort of kind of blind. I mean, something's pricking on them. Truth is pricking on them. Prick, prick, prick. But they bring this guy before him. They start asking him questions. Verse 15, how did you receive your sight? Well, he put clay in my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And, 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 and some of them said, verse 16, this man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. He did work. He healed on the Sabbath. See, okay, they're becoming blind. They're getting more blind. What's, what's, what's happening here? But it doesn't stop there. They wouldn't stop. It says verse 18, the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And so they start grilling his parents. And his parents were like, yeah, yeah, he was, he was blind. Now how he, got, how he got his eyesight, I don't know, but he was blind. What do they do? They don't accept it. You see, that the, the, they're getting blinder and blinder and more hardened and hardened. What do they do? They, they call them back. And, 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 Look, look, look at the blindness of this statement. They get the man back. They know what had happened to him. They, 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 they're knowing full well, but they're what Romans 1 calls they're willfully blinding themselves. They are willfully sticking their head in the dark, in the sand here. In verse 24, they say, so they called the, the man who was blind and said to him, give glory, give God the glory. We know that this man, this man Jesus is a, is a sinner. Ooh saying this about the son of God, the lamb of God. And then finally, they, they speak with this man who used to be blind and has been given his sight. And this man actually confronts them on it. Why, why do you keep asking me this? You, you know what happens. Do you want to become his disciples too? And, and, and what, what do they say in verse 34? You were completely born in sins and you You're teaching us? And they cast them out. In other words, they act out. They've become fully blind. What does verse 39 say? For judgment I have come into this world that those who see may be made blind. And that's what we just saw. But it also says something else, right? It also says I have come into this world for judgment that those who do not see may see. And, and we see that very thing, too, happen in this story, in John chapter 9. And you see it in the life of this man who was born blind. Jesus um, has him, directs him, to, he puts mud in his eyes, directs him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. It, it, um, he does that. Uh, it says that he went, he washed, he came back uh, uh, seeing and... His neighbors go, Well, whoa, what's going on? Is this the guy who is our neighbor? And they, they go to him and they say, How are your eyes open? Notice in verse 11, it says that a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes. He calls him a man. At this point, this is all he knows, right? <laughs> but he's going with it. His eyes are opening. He's going from exact opposite direction. He's going from fully blind to he's beginning to see now. Okay, so, so he's dragged before the uh, Pharisees and, and the Pharisees ask him the same question and, and he answers the same way and then they say in verse 17, well, what do you say about him who opened your eyes? Verse 17, he's a prophet. Well, that's interesting. He, first, he's a man. His eyes are opening. And, and, and now it says he's a prophet. And then, verse 33, they start grilling him and grilling him. He, 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 he's, he's holding his own, man. I mean, the spirit of God is on the guy. He doesn't back off. He could have easily said, well, you know, I really, I don't know. He could have lied and said that. But he, he de- doesn't back off. What does he say in verse 33? If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's, he's from God. And then finally... Jesus comes to him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I believe. His eyes fully opened. What does verse 39 say? It says, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be made blind. He's going to close with verse 41, then we're going to have communion. It says, if you were blind, he says, yeah, verse 41, it says, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say we see, therefore, your sin remains. You know, I, I, uh, I have a time each afternoon, Monday through Friday, Friday, where where I pray to the Lord, I I go somewhere and I just dedicate it to prayer, and I have a really long list of different things that um, I'm I'm using to 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 actually prepare me for prayer. So I really spend a long time preparing for prayer, and then I then I pray, I intercede, and and and. But one of the things that has become one of my you could say light prayer verses, it's that. It's that story at the end of Matthew where the woman has an alabaster jar filled with perfume and she pours it out and she puts it on Jesus' head. She anoints his head. It was an offering. People were looking at her and saying, that's a waste. She says, no, that's not a waste. In fact, anywhere the story about me is told, this story is going to be told about her. Why? The Bible says your life if you have a relationship with Jesus, it is all about the exact same thing. What may others may call a waste, your life's about an offering. And, my, and in my prayer life, I, I, I just say to the Lord, Lord, please, show me what the offering is that will bless you, that will bless you like that, that, like that woman with an alabaster jar Blessed you, Romans chapter twelve, verses one and two. Offer your lives as living sacrifices, um, sacrifices that will bless the Lord. And here's we learn today in John chapter nine. You want to bless the Lord. You want to give your life as an offering to Him and bless Him every single day when you get up. Notice verse forty-one. It says, "Now that you say that you see, your sin remains." Do the opposite, Lord. I know there's areas of my life that I don't see. There's darkness that I don't see. I don't know what it is. Show it to me, Lord, whatever the cost. I I want my life to be an offering that blesses you. Whatever the pain, whatever the circumstances, whatever comes about, open my eyes, Lord, so that I can give you my life, an offering that that you're blessed with. That's the life. That's the offering that blesses the Lord. As we take communion, I'm going to call the communion folks up. I just want to, um, the actually the communion folks, the worship team, as they are coming up. I want to focus on one issue. As we're going to communion, one issue in this whole area of blindness and something we may be blindness, and it's this issue, unforgiveness. Communion, the cup's all about the blood, right? Blood of Jesus. The bread's all about his body, his broken body. The blood's all about forgiveness. That on the cross, his blood was poured out so that you would be forgiven. On Wednesday nights, Eric is teaching a summer study on the, uh, the kings, the good kings and the bad kings. I woke up Thursday morning wishing it was Wednesday night. It was so good. Last Wednesday night, it was like, wow, I wish tonight were Wednesday night. But he focused here on 1 Samuel, verse in 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 12. Now David, King David, or Jesus is the son of David. He's the descendant of David. And King David... Was the beginning of the messianic line, the king line, and God promised David, "There's going to be someone on your throne forever." As a prophecy about Jesus, and in in Second in Samuel chapter twelve, do we have this verse? Um, what had happened here in uh, in chapter eleven? David, at the very height of God's blessing on his life, he commits adultery. With a woman, and then kills the woman's husband. there's like some big time issues, big time sin. With everything that he was given by God, so how much the, uh, he was blessed. And a prophet, God sends a prophet to him, the prophet Nathan, and Nathan confronts him. Look, you're trying to hide this thing. We I know what you did God knows what you did you murdered a man and you committed after committing adultery with his wife and David acknowledges the sin and at that point the picture is he, he basically says get, you know the, 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 the whole picture that you see there he acknowledges his sin It's okay you can put me to death because death was required in the law of Moses for adultery and murder. And the prophet Nathan says this to him in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, 13, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. Now there were consequences, but God put away David's sin. Now in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, is the same thing about your sins. You know, 1 John 3, 5, that he was manifested to put away your sin. Put it away. Now, if you have asked Jesus to come into your life, if you have gotten to that point, I mean, in, in my own case, I... Up until the time I was a Christian, just doing stupid things to get attention. So much, so much of my life was about that. And then, but but getting to the place, and I met my, my friend gave me a, a copy of the of the book of John and, and and a commentary, and I just read it, and I was thinking about my life, and it was like, wow, I deserve hell. I I I deserve to have. Um, uh, an, an eternal judgment and, and, and Jesus he, he substituted for me on the cross and then he was resurrected and he was sent into heaven I need him I, I need my whole life to be about him the light just came in went from blindness to the light And that at that point the Bible says at that point it says that my sins are put away now Jesus gives up a parable in Matthew chapter 18 about what our behavior is supposed to be with after we have our sins put away by Christ we're supposed to forgive others and it's the it's the it's this parable where there's there's a king and there's a, there's this person who works for him that owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, talents is like a money term. And one commentator says 10,000 talents was equivalent to the entire GNP of that of Palestine, meaning you take every, all the money everyone earned and, and, and add it up, it doesn't even come to 10,000 talents. It was just an extraordinary, it was basically infinite sin it represented. The guy owed it to the king and the king had mercy on him and put him away. Rather, not put him away, put the debt away and let the guy just go free. And then the guy turns around, someone owes him a 100 denarii. A denarii is, is really, a denarii is what one poor working man earned in one day to get bread for one day. And so this, this man who worked for the man who had had 10,000 talents forgiven him. Had this other guy who owed him a hundred denarii, and he refuses to, uh, uh, to forgive the guy of his debt and sends the guy off to, to, to debtors' prison, uh, refused to forgive him of that debt. And Jesus comes and, um, and, and and says, the king finds out about found out about that. That guy who had forgiven ten thousand talents, wouldn't forgive a hundred denarii and, and then he he sends them off. He says where there will be weeping and, and gnashing of teeth in darkness. It's like a very serious thing. The Bible says that before communion, which represents the, the blood, it represents the body. Let a man, let a woman examine themselves, lest there be any unforgiveness. Things like unforgiveness in their heart before taking that that cup which represents such a sacred thing the blood of Christ it says you don't want to do that or you you will heap judgment on yourself you will be judged by God if you do something like that it doesn't mean you're going to lose your relationship with God but, it, but what it does mean is there's serious consequences of going to the communion table when there's unforgiveness in your heart here's the question for you before you go to the back we have the communion elements in the back and and want to want everyone to go back and if they have the liberty and, and get the cup and the bread and come to their seats, before you do so, I want you to answer this question and, and I want you to say, have I put that sin away, that sin that that man, that woman did against me? Have I put it away like God did with David, like Jesus did with me? Or am I holding on to a hundred denarii, a a little eensy-weensy in comparison thing compared to the the full weight of my sin that was on the cross that, that Jesus bore and he put it away. Am I holding on to that? Put it away. Sometimes we have to mentally, by faith, put away where we've been sinned against in order to forgive. Have you done that? So I just want you to do a little business with the Lord here as the worship team begins and have a conversation with God God am I blind number one have I not put away someone's uh, put away sin or, or am I blind as to some kind of th- unforgiveness that I'm harboring in my heart that I need to put away someone's sin and forgive I just want to do a little business with God now as the worship team begins if you've been asked to pray if you can please come up and so let's just in your seat just do a little business with God and then while you're ready if you have the liberty while the worship team is playing just you can go back and, and grab a cup and a cracker and you can return to your seats and we'll have communion together but let's, let's worship and let's pray now why don't you stand actually while you do this just stand and do business with God That's before you turn.